Hey folks, in case you missed it, the single barrels have started rolling in. Both barrels of the Jack Daniels Single Barrel Barrel Proof Rye are available through Hudson Wine Market, with direct links in my social media pages and Instagram bio. These also went out to patrons with a special discount code. These barrels have been going so quickly that honestly, I don't even know if they're going to be any left by the time this is posted. So if they are available and you want them, trust me, don't wait because someone else is going to grab them first. Next up is the Barrel Rye finished in Armagnac casks. This is going live on October 2nd. This incredible pick was done in partnership with the guys at This Is My Bourbon Podcast. The Timbip guys are great friends, and I'm thrilled to have this barrel come into the shop. On October 2nd, Patreon members of both podcasts will have first dibs with free shipping for Patreon supporters. No limits, no minimums, free shipping for Patreon supporters. So up your Patreon pledge now if you want to grab them before everyone else and get that free shipping code. Just want to take a quick second. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you to all the supporters, especially my friends on Patreon. You've put a ton of investment into the pod and the site through the years. And as these single barrels start rolling out and additional products start rolling out, I'll keep providing as many perks as possible to those who have supported me along the way and continue to join. If you're not a patron, if I was on the outside, sounds like now's the time to join. All right, enough updates. Now on to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. This week, I am talking with Anna Axter of Lodestar Whiskey, a uh, fairly new whiskey company celebrating its first anniversary in uh, just a couple of days after our recording, but maybe a week or two before it comes out. So, Anna, welcome on. Hi, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And I got the last name pronounced correctly, right? That is correct. It's Axter. The only okay. thing is we're just launching. We're not, we don't have our one year anniversary quite yet. We're, we're just, we're basically in the second week of launch. Okay. I have to check where I got the, the, uh, anniversary date. I thought there was a party in studio city. Yeah. Oh, that's the first year anniversary of the Fred Siegel store in Studio City. And we're part of that celebration. Ah, okay. Gotcha. We are gotcha. brand new. <laughs> gotcha. So thank you for clarifying that. I was, I should have caught that, but yes, um, still new, but making a name for yourself and for yourselves and for Lodestar Whiskey uh, based out of California, but soon to be uh, more widely available. So jumping right in. You uh, and your partner slash cousin, Vendelin, are uh, both California-based. And on right on the Lodestar website, I always like to start on the website for these kinds of interviews. Uh, you state that Lodestar Whiskey embodies the laid-back lifestyle of our California base. And I was curious how you would describe that lifestyle translating into a, like a flavor profile or sensory experience. Sure. Yeah. When we kind of started this whole journey and came up with what we wanted to put out in the world, we started with flavor first. We kind of knew what we liked and didn't like and really honed in on like what notes were important to us. And we created a really detailed flavor brief. And we then traveled to lots of distilleries to kind of learn about the process and learn about whiskey making and meet different people and ultimately realized that blending would be the way we would achieve what we were going for in terms of flavor. But one of the things that was really important to us was that 
we wanted it to be high quality. We wanted it to stand up to anybody who's uh, known whiskey for a long time. Um, but at the same time, we wanted it to be approachable. We wanted it to be easy to drink um, while having complexities, but we wanted it to be smooth with a nice, smooth, long finish with an approachable flavor profile. So we, um, yeah, that was just something that was really important to us. We also, um, like I said, we wanted to stand up to people who enjoy whiskey and have for a long time. And at the same time, we wanted it to be something where we can invite new people into the category and kind of be an entry of like, you don't have to know everything about whiskey in order to enjoy it. You can just um, pick up a bottle and, and enjoy it in a cocktail or on the rocks or however you want to, but it doesn't have, we, it was important to us not to overcomplicate it for the consumer. Um, and yeah, I guess that's where kind of this, like a word that kept coming up for us was like, we want this to be unstuffy in a way. Um, we want it to be feel modern and inviting and, um, and that kind of goes with the, with this laid back lifestyle that we talk about on the website. I think on uh, the whiskey culture podcast, you said uh, all flavored, no fuss. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the, uh, actually, you know, I'm going to jump to a different question that because that works well. So on whiskey culture, which was, I think was your first podcast that um, you'd done and this being mm -hmm. the second, which I'm very excited about. Uh, <laughs> You know, the host made a good point that this does go well. And I have had the opportunity to taste it. I was uh, generously provided a bottle to taste and review. Um, I've since shared it with friends. So my um, my level is, you probably can't see it too well, but it's getting low. Uh, <laughs> but that's the idea. So um, on Whiskey Culture, he said that this can go well on its own. It can fit in a cocktail. Isn't a true mixer whiskey. There we go. Because it does stand up to a little bit of ice stands up on its own and um i'll admit just for myself i was a i was a tiny bit skeptical going in just because i'm i'm a i'm admittedly sure, a proof yeah. hound i like high proof stuff a, a lot mm -hmm. um and uh i'm very glad to see a lot of people getting into blending mm -hmm. that's not to say everyone is doing it well but i'm always but i'm glad to see that people are getting into it um but no this really was uh quite enjoyable dram uh for me i think so it's a, I should say for people listening, it's a blend of high rye bourbon and American single malt whiskey at 45% ABV and 90 proof. And um, for me, I thought the uh, single malt actually came out a little stronger than the bourbon, which added a good mouthfeel. And uh, for me, certainly made it more viscous, more, um, just more heft to it than like a 90 proof straight bourbon would be. Mm -hmm. uh, which I quite enjoyed. And in doing so, it broke out of the, this would work well in a cocktail trope, which is usually what reviewers write. If they say something isn't outright terrible enough to say you don't want to <laughs> drink it, but also isn't so great that you're like, eh, you know, go ahead. So, you know, it stood out from, from that trap for sure. And with that, on the website too, you have suggested cocktails. Mm -hmm. um, so while I will most likely drink it on, on its own, I will try some of these cocktails. And I don't know if it was you or Vendelin, but one of your favorites is the 
whiskey sour with egg white. Mm-hmm. Both of us love to drink that. Yeah. Both of, okay. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that I really want to try was the uh, Lodestar iced tea mm-hmm. with Sapsang Sushan tea. Mm-hmm. So nice little smoke in there. Mm-hmm. So do you, in your, I guess now, but also in a previous uh, whiskey life, um, do you tend to like a little smokier whiskeys? You know what? I don't love too much smoke, but a little bit I really like. It has to be kind of right for me, right? The right amount of like, it has to be subtle. It can't be too, too much. I, f- I feel it's for me anyway, it's over, it can be overpowering pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting though, with the iced tea, that was our first kind of signature cocktail that we came up with. And it actually was born out of, um, a bit of like a personal experience. My, um, my dad, all my life drank Lapsang Suchong tea for breakfast in the morning. And I remember like, as a kid, I was like, oh, this is so gross. Like all this smoky tea, who would want to have smoky tea for breakfast? And it was always this thing. My mom drank coffee. He drank this tea. Um, but all my life I'd been familiar with it. And so when we kind of thought about cocktails for the first time, it like came into my mind. I was like, oh my God, I think this would pair well. And then Venlin, who's really great with, you know, creating flavorful things, she was like, huh, that sounds really interesting. And so we tried this thing out. We always love a lot of citrus and cocktails, both of us do. And it was important to us actually that the flavor profile, like that in the flavor profile of Lodestar is also a little bit of citrus. Um, Anyway, we tried this out and we brewed this Lapsang Suchong tea, which we just ordered on Amazon. And then um, the smoke of the tea with the flavors of the of the whiskey, it just kind of came together really nicely. And then we just added a little bit of simple syrup and a little bit of lemon. And that was it. And so it's a fairly simple cocktail. But somehow these flavors of the smoke and the tea and the whiskey come together really, really great. Have you, uh, this is an, usually an iced tea, but have you tried it warm? Because that would go pretty closely to a hot toddy. I know. So I haven't tried it warm. We've always served it. Um, you know, we've, it's, it also go, you can make it as a batch. We've made it, I've made it as a batch for like dinner parties that I've had. And, um, but no, we've only had it cold so far, but I agree with you. And actually at Fred Siegel, where we are this Saturday for their anniversary party, we are going to do a hot toddy. And, um, that's, it's funny you mentioned it because we also thought like, huh, we could do that with the tea as well. So especially for winter and holiday cocktails, it seems like maybe a good idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Just swap the, I mean, you could do a simple syrup or swap it for honey and exactly. you got, got the recipe yeah. right there. <laughs> so in these, uh, with these interviews, I love to do kind of digging and, and exploring all the different interviews people have done or, or press releases and such, and being a newer company there, um, there are fewer for you, which is both good and challenging. So good, because then I get to ask a lot of questions, um, mm-hmm. but challenging because then I'm thinking, okay, I got to think about more jumping off points. So starting with one of the first um, articles I read, this was from Fansided. And mm-hmm. uh, the the wording that I'm going to quote, it, this is from the author. It's not from from you, but I thought it was worth quoting because it does seem to fit well. So um the author wrote, quote, it was not necessarily the desire to highlight certain flavor profiles or boosting particular notes in the blend. It was about setting an overall tone, concept, invitation that allows this whiskey to be whatever the drinker wants it to be, unquote. Uh, so 
this speaks more to the cultural side of things. And uh, from both of your backgrounds, the idea of a shared cultural experience over whiskey was clearly key. So how did you take that desire for a cultural experience and pair it with the flavor profile that you wanted to see? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how kind of like how we started getting into, so we worked in entertainment together for over 10 years. We worked in film and in music and in our careers in music, we got to travel just a whole lot all over the country and different parts of the world. And, and, um, in music, in that world, the drink of choice was whiskey. So we kind of just, you know, got into whiskey and developed love and a passion for it. And we're able through our travels to, to, it kind of became like a little bit of a sport or a game where we were like, if we were in different parts of the country and we wanted to try something like hyper-local that you wouldn't get anywhere else or, um, and at the same time, just realizing what's available everywhere and, you know, really getting into what we liked and didn't like. And what we realized over um time was that as two women we didn't necessarily felt really represented by a lot that was out there in terms of branding marketing aesthetic you know not flavor we we loved a lot of the stuff that we were tasting and so again in our careers in entertainment we were what we loved the most was creating community around shared experiences, which could be a concert or an album, or it can be um, a party, or it can be in film, a shared experience of watching something. Um, and so that was really what was driving us in our work. Um, and also in our personal lives, we just love bringing people together over dinner, over drinks and we're from a very big family that loves to come together over a dinner table and can sit at the dinner table for hours and hours and hours. And um, so I guess it was kind of like, that's the way we grew up. And that's also what we took into our work. And um, when we, through realizing that whiskey was still, you know, obviously there's a lot happening and there's some great female founders in the space, but Overall, there's still very much a perception that it's more um, a, a man's drink, um, I guess. And we knew lots of women, though, who loved whiskey and lots of men, obviously, who loved whiskey. And so we were just like coming up with this idea of like, we think there's something out, you know, there's something there that we could um, try to capture in a way of like finding people who probably would really like whiskey and at the same time inviting people who already do into a space where everybody feels invited. And um, so community and inclusivity kind of were just natural things that we were living our lives by. And so um, it was just very easy and felt authentic to us to build the brand from those kind of pillars, basically. And so going back to what's in the bottle and finding the flavor, it was important to us that it, we really loved it. So we we kind of went off of our own tastes, but at the same time, again, that it was high quality, but also could stand up, um, could stand up to people who really love whiskey and know a lot about it, but at the same time was approachable. And the approachability goes back to the, you know, inclusivity kind of aspect of the brand. On inclusivity, I, I have to ask a question on that because it's 
uh, it's pertinent. It's timely. It, it's uh, I just had a conversation with another female owned uh, and founded whiskey company, um, Highline Spirits out of Michigan. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the owner, Christy Lauer, shared a story that I've is less a story and more of a cliche at this point, an unfortunate one, but one that a lot of women face be- being included in the whiskey sphere. And it's one of two. It's either the the woman who orders a neat pour and it gets given and it comes to the table and the server gives it to the guy next to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but also from the business standpoint, when you're trying to start a business as a woman in uh, in whiskey or in spirits, I should say, that you don't get the calls back when a man does. And I'm curious if you had faced either or both of those scenarios even before you got into whiskey as a business, but even just as a consumer. Absolutely. As a consumer, and this was, again, part of what was kind of driving us to do this, um, absolutely have I had those moments in a bar or in a restaurant where I ordered a whiskey and it was given to the person next to me who happened to be a man. Um, or also it, it, even if you order directly at the bar and the person sees that the order comes from you, um, getting a look or something of like, oh, you're that kind of quote unquote, that kind of woman, you know, mm-hmm. who drinks and eat whiskey or, um, and then in terms of business, yes. I mean, I feel, you know, unfortunately it is still like this. Again, I think there's a lot of change happening, but we want to, we're excited to be a part of the change. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still a long way to go where, you know, even when we travel to a lot of different distilleries to kind of educate ourselves and learn and meet people, um, yeah, it's still very much in not everywhere, but in a lot of places felt very much like a um a little bit of a boys' club. Yeah. And so um it's been really um we were fortunate we applied for um for funding um through this VC arm of Diageo. Mm-hmm. And we were um basically Diageo works with this company um, called Distill Ventures, who um, have a pre-accelerator program where they focus on underrepresented founders in spirits. Mm-hmm. And um, we applied and we were fortunate enough to be accepted into this program. And um, and that's been really um, amazing because there's been a lot of support from Distill Ventures. Um, apart from the funding from Diageo, there's also been just been support in them kind of navigating, helping us navigate some of the kind of early stages of mm-hmm. creating a, a spirits business. And um, because they're so aware and they, they, they created this program specifically for underrepresented founders, it's been really great to have their support, but also made us realize what some of the challenges are. And they're still definitely out there. And there's moments where we call somewhere and it's like, you know, whatever, we don't get the call back. And um, if we have somebody else kind of in our corner helping who happens to have a male voice, it's a slightly different story. Again, not always, but we've definitely had those experiences. It was uh, it was described as it's a game that's horrible and, and unfortunate that it still exists. But if you play it, 
you end up getting more of a role than, or you can make at least some change from inside the game you couldn't make from outside. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so you mentioned that having both um, funding from Diageo, being part of the pre-accelerator program, you were the uh, first, the first total or first whiskey, I forget. The first whiskey. First, the first whiskey, yes. Pre-accelerator, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so in um, another one of the interviews, you, you mentioned both Heidi Dillon at Distill Ventures and uh, Deborah Crew at Diageo as women who are clearly not just in a position of power, but in a position to assist both women, other underrepresented owners and founders, um, including Heidi and Deborah. Who else do you look up to in, ter- in those frame in that frame of mind of people who have started to help break that paradigm? And this can be within or without whiskey. Sure. So I would say within whiskey, a person that we met very early on was the founder of Sia Scotch. Um, Her name is Corinne and she started Sia, I don't know, over 10 years ago. So she was really early on in starting a female founded. um, It's a scotch, but in the kind of whiskey spirits world. And she was just so we met her at um, a whiskey event really early on when we were just kind of toying with the idea of even doing this and kind of trying to figure out what that would look like and what we would need to do. And first of all, she's a lovely person, but she was also so supportive and open and um, was like, call me, let me know what you guys are trying to figure out. Can I help in any way? And so that's, she's been really amazing. And there's other women in the field where I've, what we felt and what was really encouraging was that there um, seemed to be this openness of just like lifting each other up rather mm-hmm. than seeing each other as competition. And, um, and so that was really encouraging and really um, wonderful to experience. It was extremely helpful for us as well. And, um, and that's something we, again, inclusivity and community and all those things that it, it goes back to that, but that's something we want to kind of carry forward in, in just being supportive of other people entering or being kind of in the same level of us or even in other fields, just again, just lifting, lifting each other up rather than um, being for each other rather than being against each other. Yeah. What was that process like applying for the uh, pre-accelerator program? And then once you were accepted into it? Um, You know, it was basically first an application with like, you know, information about us as founders, our backgrounds, our resumes, basically um, our vision for what we wanted to do. And then once the application was through, they, the team from Distill Ventures, the pre-accelerator team from Distill Ventures, helped us um, or, you know, gave us some pointers and we're there to kind of, uh, when we had questions, to prepare for the pitch for this investment committee at Diageo. Mm-hmm. So then we spent a couple of months preparing and just kind of really working on, and it was a really good process because it was really good for us as founders to spend that time and being so focused to pitch this. It, it you know, it's super helpful because you understand your your plan, your idea, your vision, your brand, your one-year plan, your 10-year plan, all of those things you kind of hone in on. So we spent a couple of months really preparing and really, um, you know, looking at all the different aspects and putting this kind of pitch together. And then we pitched to the investment committee at, 
I forget. I think it was like six people from Diageo that were on there. And, um, and then they um, agreed to give us funding, which was really great. And then we just kind of jumped in and we, you know, we um, were able to do our first production run, do our um, come up with a marketing plan and really put that into place. And, um, and after we were accepted and the funding was approved, then Distill Ventures um, basically put a team that was solely, you know, that was like our team at Distill Ventures who uh, continue to support us. And we have, you know, we have weekly meetings with them. We can reach out to them at any point if there's any questions. Um, they, you know, supply chain, all of those things are difficult things to figure out. And they've just been really helpful in assisting us in in navigating that. Um, another thing that we kind of did before, so we we didn't need so much help with that, but that was pretty, you know, challenging just because it's, uh, a lot of kind of paperwork and a lot of um, back and forth was the licensing process. So that is mm -hmm. like, I feel like a natural barrier for people to enter the spirits world because mm -hmm. that process is just kind of tedious and a lot of it feels pretty antiquated. And so um, we were just, we were so passionate about what we were doing and obviously still are. And so I think we just were like, we don't see any hurdles. We just like, we're just going to get through it in whatever way, shape and form we will. But we, um, so it never felt like, oh, I don't know if we really want to do this. Um, but yeah, the licensing process is definitely an interesting thing to wrestle with. I, if I could tell you how many people have, have said that that's one of the biggest barriers. Once you get past the biggest barrier of all, which is simply just money uh, to do it licensing is usually number two so oh. <laughs> fully believe it yeah uh, so at the, at the time you're making this you're designing this pitch that you're going to pitch the six people at diageo um at that point had you already identified a uh, flavor profile potential sources yeah we already had liquid in the bottle but basically for like a, a little um sample or trial run we wanted mm -hmm. we had already identified the flavor profile, identified the blend, identified the components. And we were like, we had it in the bottle. We just uh, needed money to, in order to do an actual production run. Yeah. And to get, uh, to get that liquid, I mean, did you have to go out and get, um, find barrel brokers or uh, I guess maybe a better way to ask the question is to go back to what you said earlier, which was in thinking about this, you and Vendelin went to, visit many distilleries to try products, see what it was like, build on your, on the experience you'd already had of drinking whiskey. Um, so I, I won't ask you to reveal the sources of them because I'm almost certain that's going to be an under an NDA, <laughs> but, um, without revealing the source of, of the liquid, did it come about naturally that you were able to get casks fairly easily and then play with them from there. Yeah. Um, yes. So we ended up um, tasting from one distillery that we really liked the product that they had. And we um, just kind of were like, we're just going to see how this is going to work out. This was after many different places that we had been to. 
And they had a master blender who I think was really intrigued by our flavor brief. Um, and he was like, this is interesting. You're kind of thinking about this differently. And I've never seen a flavor brief like this. And it was very detailed. We're both pretty detail oriented people. So it was pretty detailed. Um, but so he gave us that feedback and we were like, all right, but like, can you like with this, put something together that you think kind of goes in this direction. And he sent us something that was not fully there, but pretty close. And we were like, wow, this is like, we're getting somewhere now. And then we traveled back to this place and sat down with him and their whole team. And then we kind of like honed in on it. And we were like, we want a little bit more of this, or we want a little, bring this out a little bit more. And it was a really fun process. Um, and we went back home and then kept kind of like tweaking just a tiny little bit, but honestly it was close from the get go. And then it, we just kind of, it wasn't a long process to get to where we wanted to. And then we were like, this is it. Um, so yeah, we source, which also obviously from, for this blend, which, but we only have two components. And so we wanted, uh, it also, we were unaware at the time we were like, okay, we got there. We, we have something in the bottle that we really like. And then, um, and then we also realized through sourcing, obviously you can have a little bit more flexibility in your supply chain. So that's kind of where we are right now. We have our first production run done and now we're getting into really figuring out, okay, so next one, um, if you know, where, where how do we, get the consistency and that's something we've been talking to this um distilling partner um with as well and and then it comes down to you know finding the right obviously sticking with kind of the mash bill that we have but then also finding making sure the barrels are in the right spot in the warehouse or in the you know and and that's been really interesting and educational for us as well to just understand the process of how do you keep consistency um with aged product where every barrel is just a tiny little bit different than the next. Yeah. And again, without breaking NDAs, uh, it, it's fair to assume then that from what you've said, the two components do come from the same facility. That's correct. Mm -hmm. okay. At the moment, you know, you never know if maybe we'll find fair a component somewhere else at some point, but yeah. Fair enough. And, you know, contracts can change and sources can change. So fully understood. Uh, but I have a couple of friends who are um, like me, extreme whiskey nerds and, and geeks and would um, have certainly slapped me upside the head if I didn't ask that question. So, <laughs> uh, so diving just one more question about that brief itself. And this is about the brief to the distilling partner. So not even the brief yet to, to Diageo, but um this was, uh, you said this in a Press Pass LA interview, which was, uh, it was also really rewarding to hear that our distilling partner had not received such a creative and detailed flavor brief before. So it was fun to create our blend together. Uh, you alluded to some of it, but I'm curious what about the particular blend, or sorry, what about the brief itself really blew them away to say, okay, I haven't seen this before. This is, this is new. Yeah, I guess... <sighs> I think about it this way in a little bit. We came at it from more of a consumer perspective, right? We were not 
uh, hobby distillers before or anything like that. We were just really had a love of whiskey and wanted to create something. Um, but yeah, we came at it from a consumer pr perspective. And so I think we were potentially not really aware of the boxes that mm -hmm. exist. And so unknowingly stepped a little bit outside the box. Um, but again, it was, it was because we, we weren't confined by all this knowledge or all this um, history that we basically had with whiskey because we were coming at it from a slightly different angle. And so I think what, what they probably meant was um, versatility was super important to us that from the get go, because that's how we consumed whiskey. So we were like, we want this to work as a shot because we've been to many bars where you just drink a shot of whiskey or people order a beer in a shot. And so it was important. Viscosity was important. We didn't want it to be too heavy. Um, at the same time, we want it and we want it to, to be high quality enough where it be neat. We wanted those flavors in there, like a little bit of citrus, but also the baking spice and the, we wanted caramel, but not where it's overpowering. So like we, we just kind of like had all these different ideas. And I think we weren't kind of coming at it from an expert opinion or perspective and that worked in our favor and I think he picked up on that and was like this is a little bit different because you're you're just creating something um without the confinement of um thinking so much in like specific whiskey terms and I think that's probably what he meant and he apparently hadn't seen that kind of brief before and I mean given your backgrounds it it, it does make sense it's a more i always forget which side of the brain it is but the more creative side let's say um rather than saying we want this you know i want this percentage of x spirit this percentage of y and z saying this is the feeling we want this is exactly. the experience we want um which makes sense i mean i again i know a lot of people who've done blending but the uh the briefs that they give or the ideas that they start out with are usually more especially if they've come from the whiskey industry well, they tend to be more like okay we want the rye component to be really strong but not too herbal you know they're getting into those kinds of notes as opposed well, to focus on the experience and the overall and there's really only one person i know who does that kind of blending more um that's uh dixon deadman well, originally from kentucky owl now at um uh, 2xo but he blends that way he blends by where does it hit on the tongue where does it hit on the sides of the mouth the ex experience of it which was very uh oh, what's the word it was very um it stood out a lot for me when i first met him and did a tasting with him because that's not at all either I, i'm i kind of come from the other side where i'm thinking okay if i'm gonna blend something i want these components and this uh -huh. flavor to to dominate so uh, coming yeah. to this too, it was very different. Yeah, that kind of rings up. Like exactly, that's how we went about it. Was experiential, and and um, again, it was because of how we were consuming whiskey. And uh, I'm repeating myself, but versatility was okay. such an important thing for for us. Mm -hmm. And um, also, like, yeah, it, it how so when you mentioned earlier, like. When people say, oh, it's a good cocktail whiskey, 
so we enjoy a good cocktail and especially a good whiskey cocktail, but also like, I love to drink it just with one rock in it. Right. Like, so it wasn't like we were only drinking cocktails. We were drinking it in all these different or drinking whiskey in all these different ways. And we wanted it to work that way. Um, and again, our idea of bringing some more people into the category, we feel like there's, well, there's a lot of people we know that, um, you know, love drinking tequila, love drinking mezcal. And so we were like, those are pretty strong flavored spirits. Like, if you like that, why wouldn't you like a whiskey? But some people still have this thing of like, I don't like brown spirits or I don't, um, whiskey, you have to know so much about it. I don't, I don't know, whatever, I can't, you know. And so we were like, that seems so weird. And those people can be like, that doesn't, it didn't make sense to us that people would like the one thing, but had never tried whiskey before. And um, I think that's also where the cocktail thing came in. We we just think it's a good gateway into whiskey. And um, we have a lot of fun creating lots of cocktails, especially Venlin. She's like, uh, much more than me, just super creative with creating things. She's also an amazing cook and, um, that just comes really naturally to her. So, um, that we wanted it to be so versatile, but also really work in a cocktail and also just work with like, you know, whiskey and Coke. Like we, we wanted it to be so approachable. And at the same time, we loved so many different flavors of whiskey and being like able to drink it neat or on the rocks that it was that was just really important to us that it works in all those different ways and again the cocktail thing was more like hey that's a good way to bring people in because yeah if you try whiskey for the first time you probably drinking it neat is not the the easiest way to kind of get in yeah it the, what you just said made me think of a uh it clarified something for me in my mind because i've been trying to think of how to break out of that duality of like i said earlier the this is a cocktail whiskey thing and i think a good way that maybe i can describe it now would be this is a a whiskey that works in a cocktail for people who care which whiskey is in their cocktail yes exactly yeah mm-hmm. yeah this, like you can go to a place you can get an old-fashioned or manhattan anywhere but it could be a Woodford Old Fashioned, Knob Creek, or Lodestar. And those three are going to have wildly different taste profiles. Exactly. And there are people who will order them and they don't really care which bourbon or which whiskey is in there. But for me, I'm, you know, I'll go for a Knob Creek Manhattan. I want like a Booker's Old Fashioned because I, you know, I punish myself. But um, <laughs> you know, um, that could be a good, uh, I'm going to keep that for an article idea because I like that now. That's a way to reclaim a space. Just like, yeah. you know, just like blending was recla- being reclaimed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reclaimed. This is a cocktail whiskey, but that's a good thing for this. Um, and that's speaking generally. As I said, I enjoyed this on on its own before I mixed it in a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, so the n- next set of questions revolves around uh, the idea of an audience. Mm-hmm. And obviously, as entertainment industry vendor- veterans, let's try that again. As entertainment industry veterans, um, you both know the idea of an audience, you know the importance of knowing who you, to whom you're going to market something uh, and also understanding, is there an audience for something before? So in uh, in researching for this, I found a couple of different audiences that you're targeting that I, I think I got all of them. Number one, and this is in no particular order, I'm just numbering them. Mm-hmm. So number one being uh, millennial 
drinkers. Mm-hmm. Number two being uh, women who feel, right. particularly those who feel underrepresented, but not necessarily those who feel underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, more of a modern audience mm-hmm. to people who are going to, of any age, who are going to be more open to a different style of whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I wasn't quite sure of was the audience of existing whiskey drinkers. So um, for me, as I said, when I drank Lodestar, I could taste both the bourbon and the American single malt, but for me, the malt uh, took more of a predominance over the bourbon. And um, even within that, the the malt was dominant. Then I think the rye took a good hard uh, punch in there. And then the bourbon and corn sweetness kind of rounded it out towards the bottom. Mm-hmm. So with that, in in mind, would you? I don't know if you can reveal the split of the two spirits, but instead, I'll ask: Is it more targeted towards, let's say, a bourbon lover or a single malt lover? Um, you know, who who are you targeting from the existing whiskey drinker market? Yeah, I mean, we. I would say if I had to pick between the two, it'd probably be the bourbon uh, lover. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, from our own experience and from kind of our research that we've been doing, again, realize that there's also a, a kind of area of the consumer world where people enjoy whiskey, but don't necessarily and know kind of which one they enjoy in terms of flavor, but aren't very identified with the brand mm-hmm. uh, or with any kind of brand. And that's what we mean by kind of the existing consumer that we would love to um, approach um, are people who enjoy whiskey, who are whiskey drinkers, but aren't necessarily identified with any specific brand. And partly because we just don't feel there's that many out there who are kind of targeting a slightly younger um, consumer or targeting that many women, targeting someone who's more into like a modern aesthetic and a modern vibe. Um, and so that's kind of where we want to bring all of that together. And there, and you totally hit it on the head where the consumers, we, we would love to um, see coming into the Lodestar community are definitely women, definitely millennials. And then in terms of the existing whiskey lover, it's people who don't necessarily, also people who just want to try something new and are interested, of course. Um, but then also people who might not um, feel very identified with any which brand that's out there. That's fair. And as someone, I'm definitely in that latter category of um, I'm always wanting to try more. I I do have favorites in my brands, but of uh, even then, they're favorites, but I think it's funny. I'm sorry, this is a tangent, but I think it's a, it's a relevant tangent for the conversation. Uh, we're having a conversation recently with some friends. It was also featured on uh, two podcasts I listened to, so Bourbon Pursuit and this is my Bourbon Podcast. And uh, the idea stemmed from a community roundtable on Bourbon Pursuit that asked, is the daily drinker dead? So basically, is that go-to, like, you know, I'll drink, a bunch of things, but I, I reach for, I use the same way. I reach for Knob Creek at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that dead? And I mean, my first thought was no, <laughs> there, there's still, <laughs> there's still plenty of brand loyalty. Um, if you want to say like, I love this 
particular single barrel, that's my daily drinker. Okay. That's a little too specific, but I think it's, it's easy enough to open that up to say my daily drinker is bourbon. My daily mm-hmm. drinker is scotch or a particular blend, blend or in, you know, in your case, uh, hoping that people will say Lodestar is my daily mm-hmm. drinker and they've got a couple of bottles stacked up. Uh, and I was thinking too, that I still do have daily drinkers granted daily by daily drinker. It's really like once or twice a month because uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm trying a lot of different things. And after you try a bunch of things in a day, I don't really want more. <laughs> I want water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was just thinking about that. I was thinking that brand loyalty can work both ways, number one, but it can be beneficial in that you're saying you have this new product that a bunch of different audiences can identify with, would be interested in, and could make this their daily drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the versatility that uh, that keeps coming up is is relevant because maybe you don't want to drink neat every day, or if it's the middle of summer, maybe you want to put it on a cube or in yeah. a cocktail. Uh, we're entering the chili season now. Um, I don't know how much chili season you get out in LA, but uh, <laughs> not that much. But we um, enjoy a hot toddy. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like thirty degrees right now. I enjoy the cold, so I'm. That's you know I like that, but and I'll drink high proof in the middle of the summer. I don't really care, but I think this is a good argument. This whiskey is a good argument against the idea of the daily drinker being dead. It's just you know mix it up a little bit, mix yeah. it up with what you want to achieve with the daily drink. Exactly. I couldn't, I mean, I agree that I don't think the daily drinker is dead. And also again, it was important to us here to have be approachable also in terms of price point. So we didn't want, we, we wanted this to be really high quality, but not break the bank so that people can have a bottle or two at home. And if you have impromptu a couple of friends over, you can either just, you know, pour some whiskey or you can, do a simple cocktail and just put it together. Um, it we feel like it's a good gift to bring to a party, or um, you know, you go here in the LA market, people can go to their favorite places that we are featured in and 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 order it. And so we we wanted it to be um yeah, be approachable also from a price point perspective, which I think helps in the whole concept of a daily drinker. This month's impact spotlight is on nickname. Founded by Annabelle Thomas, Nicknean has a pioneering approach to spirit making, putting innovation and sustainability at the forefront. Through Nicknean, Annabelle seeks to change the way the world thinks about whiskey from Scotland and to create a whiskey which could exist in harmony with our planet and its inhabitants. Nicknean has created a spirit with exceptional body and sweetness, showcasing their smooth and elegant house style. This is achieved through a combination of sourcing high quality organic Scottish barley, gentle fermentation, and distillation processes, and maturation in a combination of three carefully selected cask types. Ex-American whiskey casks, STR, shaved, toasted, and recharred casks that held red wine, and a small amount of Oloroso sherry casks. The result is flavors of lemon sherbet, juicy stone fruits, and spiced rye bread. This whiskey is set to disrupt the industry through Nicknean's commitment to sustainability and creative approach to distilling. With an uncompromising focus, the small team of eco-conscious drinks fanatics also dedicate 10% of their spirit production to trialing different yeasts, not commonly found, in whiskey distilling, all on their journey to seek out and find new flavors in their whiskey making. 
If you're a longtime listener, you know how interested I am in whiskeys and distilleries like this, and how excited I am that Impex is now bringing it stateside. Annabelle will be visiting Chicago for Whiskey and Barrel Night on October 25th, and will be hosting special masterclasses featuring the key components of Nicknean, along with their core organic single malts. These tastings will also include a sneak peek of Quiet Rebels Gordon. Only 630 bottles of the special one-time-only release will be coming to the States, so it's a release and an event you won't want to miss. Nicknean Organic Single Malt is currently on its way to specialty retailers across the U.S. For more information and questions on where to buy, please contact the Impex Beverages office at office at impexbev.com and follow on social media to never miss a release. The Whiskering Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. And to your point about being featured uh, on-premise for on-premise sales and cocktails, uh, bars and restaurants are very reluctant to make cocktails with anything above a certain price point. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, like I said, I like a Booker's Old Fashioned, but that's that's going to cost me if I order one. Mm-hmm. So, um, where are some places that you you're either featured right now or or will be featured? Yeah, so we're just like I said, we're just launching, so we're really in the very early first couple of weeks of it, and um, very local here. We are um, we our first account was Surfrider Hotel in Malibu. It's kind of an iconic hotel out here um a small boutique hotel that has a really cool vibe and has just kind of really also fits with our aesthetic and um and they were really excited they put it in a couple of cocktails on their menu um and um the feedback we're getting is that people really enjoy it and really like it and they um we did like an event with them where where people could come in they have a beautiful roof deck that overlooks the Malibu Pier and the Pacific Ocean and so um, a great place to also have people come together over good drinks. Um, and then we here in Santa Monica, we were in we're in Casilla, which is like a really amazing um, restaurant with like a Southeast Asian cuisine. They have a um, a female bar director. Um, her name is Nicole Mitchell. She tried it, really liked it, was really excited about it. Also excited about this. The feedback we're getting is that people are excited about having, um, you know, I think it feels again, we're in very early stages, but it feels like the story is connecting of two women adding a new product to the whiskey world. And, mm-hmm. um, and kind of our story seems to be connecting because, um, and this is just feedback we're kind of getting from accounts, but it feels like people are a little bit tired of, um, you know, especially I guess out here, that's maybe a little bit more pronounced, but um, of spirits that are celebrity endorsed. Um, Mm. There seems to be a little bit of um, a wave going away from that. And it's been really fun for us to, when we came up exactly who we want to market this to, who we're thinking about, what we want in the bottle, what we want the label to look like, all of those things. Um, it was really important to Venlin and I that we come at this from a place of authenticity. That's how we aim to live our lives in general. Um, and in we just feel like that's the kind of the only way and the best way to go about anything but especially also in work and especially in bringing a product to market is like 
if we if we are fully behind it and everything about it is authentic to kind of us and how we created it and why we created it um and always keeping that kind of at the top of our minds and at the top of like again always coming back to like does this work does it not work is it about community is it about inclusivity is it about the flavor that we was so important to us and and every day seemingly we um we think about those things and come back to those things and it's much more fun to go about it that way because it it it's it's we don't have to stretch it's just authentic to what we what we're trying to do and achieve and why we did this in the first place and i think that's that our our hope is anyway that that will also connect not only to the bar directors and mixologists and the people in off uh, premise accounts but also to the consumer directly and this question kind of just came to me and uh might be hard to answer uh it's not an nda question so it's not impossible to answer but <laughs> might be harder to answer which is uh just in talking to you the authenticity does come through that this is your it's not only your your lifestyle but the brand and the style has it reflects just who you are who you both are and i I genuinely do feel that authenticity coming through Uh, my question then is do you foresee any challenges as you grow with let's say even non-california markets you know where they're it's not necessarily as laid back or um it's you know, I look at the bottle and I think this is this looks like a coastal bottle. It's bright blue, like ocean blue, um, white lettering on it. That feels very surfside to me. Um, so do you foresee any challenges as you grow with connecting to new consumers in different lifestyles? I mean, you know, I'm sure there will be challenges. Um, and we will hopefully just learn from them and continue to to grow in our learning process. But I do think, and obviously we didn't only think about the California market when we came up with kind of the aesthetic. I do think that it will connect in other markets as well. There's other markets that we know because we've spent a lot of time in places and, uh, you know, like I said, we travel so much. Um, And the more modern aesthetic that we are going for I think will connect with millennial consumers, especially. Um, And it was also important to us in the aesthetic, not to, again, coming at it from the perspective of two women, we didn't want it to be, we didn't want it to be gendered, overly gendered in either direction, right? We didn't want it to feel like, oh, this feels like we're marketing to men, which a lot of, even a lot of female founded whiskeys are actually marketing to men. Um, and at the same time, we didn't want to quote unquote pink wash it either. (laughs) And, um, and uh, because we believe that, uh, a lot of millennial consumers, um, aren't necessarily looking for aesthetics and products that are overly gendered in either direction. Mm -hmm. And so all of those thoughts kind of went into it. And yeah, I agree. It has maybe a little bit of a coastal feel. It has, you know, Lodestar is a navigational star that, you know, that you navigate by in sailing. So the star on the bottle is a little bit of a compass um, as well. And there's that, those parts. And then the kind of a little bit brighter colors. Um, 
but those colors to us anyway also speak to just a slightly more modern feel and um in the markets that we know well outside of California, we feel like it'll connect and hopefully it'll connect beyond that as well. So I think that serves as a great uh, transition point to the bottle itself, which mm-hmm. is when uh, this comes out, there'll be the review, tasting notes, more information about it, uh, and obviously pictures, most importantly. So uh, that's a good transition into the design as well. So the there are a couple of points here that I also wanted to add on, which is the, as you said, the idea of a lodestar as navigation, there's the compass points on the front, um, disassociated with a, with a uh, circle removed. And then the 1837 in the middle of that, that compass star. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that didn't immediately click for me as to what the date was, but looking at your website, it was, it was about, um, when the term feminism was coined, or at least when we first know it was used. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was striking because in both in reading, but also in hearing you talk about the product, yes, it's it, it's supposed to attract all these audiences that we've gone through and certain people, but I don't get the sense that it's meant to be necessarily like a beacon of of feminism in whiskey. It's more just, it's more a nod to it as opposed to that. So how did the inclusion of the 1837 come about? Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. It's a nod to it in a way. And it's it's definitely one of the low stars that we uh, navigate by is feminism. But I guess it depends what your understanding of feminism is. And um, to us, feminism is simply equity between, you know, like treating men and women the same way. It's not like um, maybe what feminism was to a lot of people 30, 40 years ago. Um, things evolve and things change. And we, um, we're, we're striving to create, um, a company as well that is, um, equitable to, to both male and female people who hopefully will work with us in the future. Um, and we think there's still, you know, obviously a lot of change has happened, but a lot of change still needs to happen. And, um, but I think there's a there's a stark difference between what some people between like maybe a stereotype that people have in their head of what um, a feminist looks like, and maybe that is more based on um, you know the movement in the in the I guess in the seventies that started. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a modern feminist of today can look any which way, but it can it, that also includes men. I you know men who see. Um, or believe in 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 total equality between men and women is to me a feminist, you know. So it um, it's not, and I guess in that way we are. Um, it's something that we that's important to us and that we navigate by. But it's not something we need to like. It's just kind of natural to us, and we think that's how it should be um, in in business, in the world, in ordering a whiskey at the bar. Um, uh, so it made sense to us to put this to, to to kind of nod to it in the design as well, but not to maybe you know have it be front and center because um, it it 
yeah, it should just be kind of a natural thing. And so the 1837 was just, we obviously lots of whiskeys have their kind of have a, a year number on them. And to us, it mm -hmm. seemed kind of a fun way to kind of include that. Um, it's obviously not the year we started. That would be 2023. Um, but we thought it was kind of, and also that it's stacked in the star kind of, you know, hints at that it's not, that it's maybe treated slightly differently than, than other spirits might have on their, on their, um, bottles. And, um, yeah. And we kind of wanted to just kind of not at it and at the same time have something that also if some if a consumer is really interested in kind of finding out more about the brand it looks like a little bit of an easter egg that you can you can you can figure out and for the design of the bottle uh you worked with sheila buchanan mm -hmm. and uh i admit i had not come across her work before um i i'm curious if she's worked with spirits before but how did that partnership emerge yeah, we wanted to work with somebody local. We wanted to um, work with a female designer. And we just kind of researched lots of designers um, in the area. We, we, I mean, we even looked elsewhere in other parts of the country and even in other countries. We just kind of like put this whole long list of people together that we were inspired by their kind of work and by their design and their aesthetic and... Um, had conversations with like a few people and ultimately um, ended up meeting with Sheila and it just was a really natural and easy fit. It's, it's, we love her work. We love her aesthetic. We also love working with her. Um, and so it just seemed like such a good fit that we just followed our instinct after meeting her and we're like, this is it, we're doing this. And she's, um, she's worked think she did another drink but it wasn't a spirit I think um so but she's done a lot so she's done a lot of work in 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 the kind of restaurant world in California so um she's familiar with food and beverage for sure kind of bringing it all together as we go into our kind of last segment mm -hmm. you're striking a balance at all times so the balance between the two types of whiskey, the balance between approachability, affordability, balance between drinking on its own, mixing in a cocktail, on a cube, all being solid fits. There's also a balance in audience that you're going for, that each of them can fit into the other in a certain way, wanting to include a nod, an Easter egg, as you said, to feminism without like screaming without calling the brand feminism, let's say, um, which some people would, and I don't think it would sell very well, unfortunately, because it would be too like, you know, in your face, but, um, and I like this idea of the balance between it. It's if you want to know more about 1837, why is that on there? You can look it up. So between the labeling, uh, the story, the design, the, all these balances that it, I just went through. Is there something, is there another way that I missed that perhaps that you're using the uh, female led and owned angle to really pop out to a consumer? I mean, that's a, I feel like that's a really good question. I, um, again, maybe it has to do with, um, 
our approach to the whole thing, to both what's in the bottle and what's on the bottle um, and how we approach the marketing and the brand of, of, of it all is um, we're two women. So the, if we're leading with authenticity and that's like such an important thing to us and we're leading with um, inclusivity, then naturally there'll be, this will be a product brought to consumers by women. And there's, a, mm -hmm. I want to say a slightly different approach potentially um, both in how we operate our business. And this brings me back to this idea of being for each other rather than against each other. That's something we, Melon and I very much have top of mind at all times when we work together. Um, but also when we approach accounts or when we talk to consumers or when we talk to anybody really, um, it's, coming from a place of, um, I guess, leading. And again, it also is about what's in the bottle. And you mentioned this earlier, um, it being more about the experience than about like what component of which much, what do I want in there and how much of this and whatever. It was about the experience. And so I feel like there's potentially something there where, and a lot of female leaders talk about this, where you think about, <laughs> the whole rather than just your own perspective not that men do that that's not what i'm saying but i think there's there's nuance um in in leading from a female perspective than from a male perspective and we just naturally want to lean into that and not shy away from that we're not trying to um enter a male dominated uh, industry by trying to be male if that, that makes any sense I think um you know this is also like a maybe a little bit outdated but it still happens a lot that um women code switch when they're in very male dominated spaces mm -hmm. and we very intentionally don't want to do that and so we want to um be a new product in whiskey and enter the spirits industry in a way that is authentic to us and where we're not trying to be anything else. Makes sense. And uh, I think the that question came out of, especially when you said earlier, you you didn't want to pinkwash was the phrase you used, uh, which, I mean, I don't know that I have an opinion either way on that. I think, I think it works for the brand and it's, uh, it's good. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe there isn't a good way to word it. You know, there's, I, also, I don't mean to interrupt you. I, no, I no, just, no. <laughs> um, there are obviously, there are some spirits that are very much marketed fully to women and with a very, you know, stereotypical or cliche or whatever you want to call it, very female aesthetic. And, and I think there's very much a space for that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I just want to be clear that, you know, that's just not our approach. That's not who we are. And that's just not who we believe our consumer is either. either. Yeah. No, certainly, certainly. And, and I, um, I'm, I think I'm having trouble coming at the question because I'm, I tend to think of myself hopefully as the 
type of modern feminist you had described where like, yes, I'm a man, but I fully believe in like the full equality and question any kind of pink tax and all these kinds of things. So uh, I think I'm finding the question difficult because I'm, I'm questioning it myself as I try to articulate it. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll move on to a different question instead, just cause I, I, maybe I still have to work on that one, but the uh, second last question I have for you is the idea of sustainability. And in uh, a, this is a long form article or interview rather you did with uh, Doug Nolan medium said that sustainability was a particular hurdle for smaller producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking we've seen a few distilleries and producers uh, more so in Scotland, I would argue yep. with starting with sustainability as a core tenant, like they're building their distilleries with heat exchangers and, um, you know, zero emission as much as they can get it. But admittedly, not everyone has embraced that. And I think we've seen less of that relatively in the U.S. Um, what have you been able to accomplish in sustainability? And and why do you think it, it's more difficult for a smaller or newer producer to incorporate that? I mean, it's it all goes down to um, affordability. It's just so, unfortunately, still so cost preventative to 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 really lean into sustainability when you're just starting out mm. and so for us that's um i feel for anybody really sustainability is a journey rather than a destination because it can always evolve and become better and you know until you're fully i guess carbon neutral or or um not even carbon neutral but just clean um it's a journey <laughs> and I don't believe anybody is quite there yet in this in this industry, but there's a lot happening. And so for us, it was clear like we can't. I, it, I don't think we can start out with um, the goal of being really sustainable quite from the get go because it, we just wouldn't be able to go to market. Um, but keeping that in mind in all of the little things that we have in terms of packaging, in terms of even shipping, how do we ship our stuff? We, you know, we're not going to ever put our, put Lodestar in, in a nice, beautiful, uh, printed package that then goes in another package. and another package. So like thinking about those little things, um, and just at the moment, what our goal is and what we've been doing is educating ourselves on sustainability in, in beverage, so that we, once we are able to have slightly higher quantities, maybe source from slightly different places for glass, for corks, for whatever, um, know where to go in order to become more sustainable as we grow. So that's kind of how we go about it. It's just trying to really educate ourselves, be knowledgeable about all the different things that are happening to make spirits more sustainable. And I mean, it starts with glass, right? The 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 thinner, the less glass you use, you could use recycled glass, like all of those things, just really understanding what is the best you can do and where would you source that from? How much would it cost? Blah, blah, blah. And just continuing to learn so that we can continue to incorporate those things into our decisions as we 
grow and continue on this journey. Makes sense. And I appreciate that because the lighter bottles, the less packaging, all that, I'm not going to lie for a high-end bottle. Like if you're paying three, $400 for a bottle, all right. I don't mind if you put it in a pretty <laughs> yeah. decanter or something like that, yeah. you know, fine. But for a bottle that's like this, that's meant to be approachable, drinkable, like you're reaching for it every day. Um, it's even, you know, it's a typical bottle shape where it's, it's easy to pour mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. well. Um, for, I think about that for um, bartenders, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to pour for whatever purpose you want to do. So I appreciate the thought about sustainability from the beginning rather than having to create a package, then remove the package and all of that. So uh, last question is really looking, what is the next phase look like for Lodestar? And I'm thinking, of course, broadly, but also um, what markets are you looking to get into? Um, are you looking to bring on more ambassadors mm -hmm. and who, who are you looking at for ambassadors as well? Sure. Yeah. So initially, um, we're launching it very locally here in the LA uh, market. Um, we basically kind of want to prove our hypothesis here and then um, branch out. Um, we are looking to soon enough um, bring some more ambassadors on where we there's a lot happening in there's I mean the LA food and beverage scene is pretty exciting at the moment and there's a lot happening. There's also a lot, I mean not enough yet, but there's quite a few um female bar directors um or um even in restaurants food and bev directors. Um so we um are you know, we're trying to build that kind of community around Lodestar of people who bring it into their account and then um try to find people kind of who are of like-minded um again community driven people who just are, are are understand kind of what we're trying to do and bring those people on to um to represent the brand but then also we want to we have this idea that we want to do this whole thing of highlighting female bar directors in the area um, and doing stories with them and about them. Um, and as far as like growth beyond the LA market goes, we are, uh, we just launched our web store. So we are available online to anywhere in the U S um, at our website, lodestarwhiskey.com. But um, after LA, we would love to break into other markets in California um, we have a couple of accounts that are interested in San Francisco and, you know, just kind of trying to um, get into wider California markets. And then after that, we we want to grow this organically. And so we're not in a rush. We don't, um, we're not looking to get into Southern immediately and just be anywhere because we don't believe that's how our brand is going to be successful. And we also don't believe in terms of like growing it with community in mind, that's not how that's going to work. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to grow organically and kind of slow. And um, there's a couple of markets that we have in mind that we would like to um, kind of get into next, but we kind of are seeing it like one at a time, um, slow and uh, slow, but meaningful. Like we're, we're, we want to create relationships and grow relationships and sustain relationships and not just blast out everywhere and then kind of not know what we're doing. Yeah. 
No, that's great. That's uh, there's a lot to be said for what I would call owning your backyard. Mm-hmm. And I, for my money, some of the most successful newer producers that, and by newer, like the last 15, 20 years or fewer, some of the most successful ones just own their backyard first. Mm-hmm. They, they grew ambassadors organically, like you said, more bartenders, more uh, servers, more mixologists and beverage directors who wanted to say, all right, this is worth it. That takes time, but keeping yeah. it in your backyard is where they're easily, you know, they can reach you easily. You can come down to the bar one night exactly. or restaurant. That's, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it. Um, and it's also the best way for us to learn, right? Because we are here and we can go to any account and meet with anybody on like a moment's notice, basically. It's the best way we learn what's really connecting and why, what people like about it and what serve strategy works for any certain place or person or so there's lots of learning to do as you start a brand and and we feel like that's the best way for us to learn as well absolutely i think that is a perfect perfect sentiment to end on so anna thank you again for coming on thank you uh, to stock load star whiskey uh as noted when this goes live there'll be notes there'll be links to social media so you can follow them see when if you're in california when they're going to be in your market uh, if you're not in California, how you can still potentially order, uh, depending on your state, and all the other information. And of course, there will also be links to all of the uh, resources I found in creating you know, interview questions and such, so you can read up more if there's anything that uh, we missed. So, Anna, hang on with me for a sec after I stop the recording. This has been another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Thank you all for listening and for supporting, and I will see you all next week. Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice, and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps, or email me at david at whiskeymywedding.com with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeymywedding. That's whiskey with an E, for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content, including our soon-to-resume Under the Influencer series, and $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or at Whiskey Ring Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Whiskey Ring. You can follow on Facebook at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.